This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Continuing our series, like Jake said, Book of Acts. And today we're in chapter 8, begin reading at verse 1. I do want to step away from the pulpit. This, has, this is not a prophetic word. This has nothing to do with proclamation of God's word this morning. I just want to say, we're going to get crushed next Saturday in Gainesville by Florida. And I just, it's a pastoral moment just to prepare you. There's no hope. Okay. <clears throat> Acts chapter 1. This is God's word. It's inspired. It's powerful. It's, it's a gift from him. I'm always surprised at how relevant it is. Acts Chapter 8, verse 1, we'll read down through verse 25. And, and Saul approved of his execution. Verse 1, it's a reference, of course, last week we looked at the death of Stephen. Last words in chapter 7, he fell asleep. He died. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, claimed to them the Christ. The crowds with one accord paid attention to what was said, what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. Verse 9, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him. From the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down 
and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Finally, verse 25. Now when they, Peter and John, had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Lord, bless your word this morning. Give us the gift of illumination. Help us to see with the eyes of our heart what your word is saying to us today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think the Lord wants us to leave with this encouragement that we plant a church with confidence in the power of the gospel. I think that's the main point that the Lord wants us to leave with today. Plant a church, Cornerstone, with confidence in the power of the gospel. We are planning on planting a church 2025. We're going to plant this church. I'm about to make an official announcement, even though it sounds like everybody in the church already knows this. We are planning on planting a church in Northeast Knoxville. And we'll, we're going to give you more details at Members Family Night coming up in a few weeks. We're going to wait till then, but then we just learned everybody knew already anyway, so, so we'd take advantage of the text. And yes, it is very exciting. It doesn't mean we're not going to plant a church in South Knoxville or Lenore City or Maryville or even Chattanooga, although I'm giving up hope on Chattanooga. It simply means that our next church plant is going to be in North East Knoxville because it appears that's, that's where we are best positioned to succeed. So pray. If you, if you desire other churches to be planted, we desire to plant other churches, so pray that that happens. We've spent, the pastoral team has spent many hours praying about this, of course, and discussing this, hours and hours. And, and we've had discussions with many members, different desires, different perspectives. Thank you for being patient. Thank you for being open-handed. We don't feel pressure. Nobody's complaining. Numerous, now they may after today, but they haven't yet. <laughs> Numerous members, including pastors, have voiced the concern that Northeast Knoxville kind of has a different vibe, you know, than West Knoxville and kind of a different culture. So can a church like us make it in Northeast Knoxville? 
Maybe we'll have to change how we do outreach. Maybe instead of ice cream on the lawn, we'll have draft beer on the lawn. I'm kidding. We wouldn't do that. And just, just a joke. And, and maybe not just donuts on Sunday morning. Maybe organic donuts locally sourced. Maybe not coffee, just plain old coffee, but artisan coffee, whatever that is. Apparently it's roasted in small batches in micro mills, and I'm never going to pay for that. So, oh, I probably would. But in our divisive age, the point is, can, can West Knoxvillians and Northeast Knoxvillians work together in gospel ministry? Can we go to church together? In light of our text, what do you think? I think so. Beginning in verse 4, Luke's focus is on the founding of a new church, on founding of new Christian communities. Outside of Jerusalem, we just saw a picture of modern-day Jerusalem. We could say we're reading in Acts chapter 8 about the first church plant, and, and the result is like active fellowship between West Knoxvillians and Northeast Knoxvillians. No, really, it's between Samaritans and Jerusalem, Jews. And this is why Luke is drawing special attention to the gift of the Spirit. Because it's unbelievable that there's going to be a church planted in Samaria. So he's drawing attention to this because it confirms they're the people of God too. That the gift of the Spirit verifies they're God's true people regardless of ethnic and cultural hostility between these two groups, they're God's true people. And his, his main point is that is the powerful effect of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember in Acts 1-8, Jesus gave the great commission of sorts, the, kind of the Acts version to the disciples, and he, he said, you're gonna take the gospel from Jerusalem to Samaria, Etc. Remember? And the first step was Samaria. That's exactly what's happening. They're, they're carrying out this great commission in detail. And Luke is aware of the hostility between Jews and Samaritans. It's an important part of the story that, that you understand, oh man, this just doesn't happen. In the first century, it was very real, maybe worse than ever in history. They hated each other. In, in practice, the Jews related to the Samaritans in the same way they did Gentiles, with a lot of limitations. They just did not believe they were one of God's covenant people, even though they believed they were. So you can imagine how offensive that was. So Philip's offer of the gospel to this despised group of people was radical. You want to be radical? This is radical. It's a, it's a significant moment. It's a new day in the history of redemption. Verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. He said, Jesus is the Messiah. And it, it changed. People changed the whole city. They were filled with joy. Romans 1 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, 
and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. You know who wrote that? Saul. The man that watched Stephen get executed, get stoned outside the city gates. He wrote that because he's the greatest example of the power of gospel in history. The mission of our church is to proclaim this gospel, and we can go anywhere with this gospel, and it will transform any hostility, any differences. That's what it does. So let's do that. Let's look at this story that Luke tells us in Acts 8. He has a purpose, very, very intentional in this story. Notice what it reveals about the church's mission. I'm going to get, make three points. Our mission is to preach the gospel, and that's the main point. But secondly, our mission will be opposed by Satan. There's going to be demonic opposition. And thirdly, our mission will succeed. So first of all, our mission is to preach the gospel. Verse 1, after the persecution, they're all scattered except the apostles it, it begins this new narrative. Verse 3, Saul was ravaging the church. He's entering house after house. He's dragging off men and women. He's committing them to, to prison. Ravaging is the right word. It can, it can refer to physical injury, to oppression, indignity. He, he, the church, men and women in the church were being ravaged by Saul. He was going from house to house because they were a community and that's where their strength was. He confesses later in, in Acts, he has a couple speeches where he, he brings this up in chapter 22. He said, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. Chapter 26, he says it again. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison, after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And so the people were scattered because this was the attitude of the Jews in Jerusalem led by Saul. F.F. F. Bruce says, these people, he thought, Saul thought, were not merely misguided enthusiasts whose sincere embracing of error called for patient enlightenment. They were deliberate imposters proclaiming that God had raised from the tomb to be Lord and Messiah, a man whose manner of death was sufficient to show that the divine curse rested on him. That's what they thought. And so they thought these people, they weren't just misguided. They were evil. But verse 4 shows God's providence. Those who were scattered, they went about preaching the word. Now we need to notice this. Luke is showing us that these folks that are being persecuted, they're being dragged out of their houses, they're being thrown, men and women, they're being thrown in prison. And so people are, are scattered. And what did they do? They preached the gospel. That's what he means when he says, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. 
They were preaching the gospel. These, these are not apostles. This is not Stephen. This is not Philip or any of the other seven, although I'm sure they were preaching the word too. This is ordinary believers that are scattering and they are preaching the gospel. Luke is speaking to each and every one of us in this room, whether we go on a church plan or not, we should be preaching the gospel. This is, this is his theology of evangelism. This is what evangelism is. Proclaim the word. Who should do it? Ordinary believers, apostles, everybody. Verse five says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and what did he do? He proclaimed to them the Christ. He proclaimed the word. He, he proclaimed the gospel. He preached. Verse 12 says, Philip preached good news. It's where we, the, the, the Greek word there is where we get the word evangelism. He, he evangelized. It's, this word is used five times in chapter 8. Verse 14, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard Samaria had received the word of God. They sent them Peter and John. They received the gospel. They received this proclamation about Christ. Verse 25, Peter and John were preaching the gospel to Samaritan villages as they returned to Jerusalem. Verse 35, Philip told them the good news. So he keeps it up in the second part of the chapter. He told them the good news. That's the gospel about Jesus. Verse 40 says, he preached the gospel to all the towns. It's what the church does. This is our mission. And there's always a temptation. Let's pause for a minute and apply this to us, Cornerstone, 21st century. There's always a temptation for churches to do something different. We've got to have a better idea. I remember one time a guy said to me, you guys are always preaching the gospel. I heard that all when I was in a different denomination. I thought, well, you're going to hear it here every Sunday. I hope we're missing our message. But that can be our attitude, can't it? We, can, we got to do something. We're, they're okay, okay, okay. I've heard the good news. Talk about the good news, but we need something else. We need something different. No, we don't. I'd encourage parents, preach the gospel to your kids. Grandparents, preach the gospel. Pray that the gospel will have a powerful effect on kids and grandkids and friends and family, just like it did you. And when we plant a church, we're not going to succeed if we don't preach the gospel in the power of the Spirit. The, the Spirit. That's where verse 8 says, there was much joy in the city. That joy came from the gospel. That joy is not there without the gospel. That's where... Joy is in the church when the church is faithfully proclaiming the good news. Mark Dever helpfully defines what this good news is in his book on personal evangelism. He says, here is what I understand the good news to be. The good news is that the one and only God who is holy made us in his image to know him, but we sinned cut ourselves off from him. In his great love, God became a man in Jesus, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross, thus fulfilling the law himself and taking on himself 
the punishment for the sins of all those who would ever turn and trust in him. He rose again from the dead, showing that God accepted Christ's sacrifice and that God's wrath against us had been exhausted. He now calls us to repent of our sins and to trust in Christ alone for our forgiveness. If we repent of our sins and trust in Christ, we are born again to a new life, an eternal life with God. That's the good news. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, that's the good news. Pay close attention to it. Think about it. Consider it. This room is filled with people who would love to talk to you about it. This is what was being proclaimed in the power of the Spirit in Acts chapter 8. Our mission is to do the same. Second point, our mission will be opposed by Satan. Verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria, proclaimed to them the Christ. The crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits, evil spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. It's, it's remarkable, Philip's impact on these Samaritans. It's remarkable, especially because Simon, the magician, had been there first. The crowds with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. It's the same word, Luke uses the same word to describe what they did with Simon. So they paid attention to Simon, and then Philip came and proclaimed the good news about Christ. They started paying attention to him because he was preaching the gospel in the power of the Spirit. And so this wasn't a neutral field. These were folks that had been influenced by Simon, and they had paid attention, but it was so powerful. They started listening to Philip. They, they started paying close attention to the claims of the gospel. If you're not a Christian today, that's what we ask you to do. We want to tell you the gospel. Pay close attention. Think about it. They, they started trying to understand because the Spirit was at work through the proclamation of the gospel. So many people never give the gospel a chance. They never pay close attention to the claims of the gospel. Jake Cronin, uh, he was telling you about the ice cream. That's what he does. He did some videos he leads our evangelism efforts at Cornerstone, does a great job. He did some videos that we've watched on family nights where he'd go downtown. He's the most disarming guy you've ever met. And so people just talk to him. They don't talk to me. They see me come and they run, but they talk to Jake. And he will ask them, and, and they will tell them what they think. And you can tell, you know, they don't understand the claims of the gospel. What I just read from Mark Devers' book, they don't understand that. They'll say things like, I asked Jake, what are some of the common things they say? They'll say things like, you can be a Christian only if you're baptized. It, baptism makes you a Christian. 
Or the only way, he's heard this, the only way to be a Christian is to speak in tongues. That's how you become a Christian. Or what's very common, you've probably heard this, the only hope of going to heaven is to just be good enough. You have to be so good that God will let you into his heaven. He's heard people say, you can't have faith. You can't be a believer and be a scientist. That's not true. So we, we want to plant churches to give people an opportunity to pay attention to the gospel. These folks in Samaria, they paid attention. They thought about it. What he was saying, the signs he performed, and it was powerful. His preaching was accompanied by signs, just like the preaching of Jesus and the apostles. Verse 7, unclean spirits, evil spirits. There were a lot of them. Simon was there. They were paying attention to him. He, he was a demonic man. He was Satan's man in Samaria. There was a lot of demonic stuff going on. Now, this is far beyond Harry Potter. But the power of the gospel was setting people free and they, it, it established Philip. Because of the situation, it established that he was a powerful man. Simon claimed that he was, he was the goat. He was the greatest of all time. Greatest magician ever. Philip didn't say that. But he just proclaimed the gospel in the power of the Spirit. This is the gospel we can preach. And we have the Spirit. We can preach the gospel. It's, it's a tremendous privilege. And, and Luke is highlighting demonic forces in Simon to show you how powerful God is. Verse 9, there was a man named Simon... Previously practiced magic. So before Philip came, he was practicing magic in the city, amazing the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, least to the greatest. This man is the power of God that is called great. They basically said, you know, we think he's who he says he is. He says he's great. We, we agree. They were spiritually oppressed. He practiced magic. Luke always uses this in Acts in a negative way. It, it, it means that he was a deceiver. He was a seducer. He was a snake oil salesman. Not a positive comment. I've recently been trying to buy a car. Um, hopefully, you don't, you're not in the market for a car. It's a very difficult experience if you've ever done it. And I haven't bought a car for hundreds of years, actually. <laughs> I haven't been that long, but I haven't done what I'm doing for a long time. So I'm just kind of getting into it and looking around. And it's all changed since the 1800s. You know, it's, things are different. And <laughs> the way you buy cars now, so much of it is online and, you know, you can look at cars all over the country. and uh, 
So if you're someone that's naive like me, you're, you're thinking, I'm going to get in trouble in this deal. Somehow somebody's going to beat me because I'm so naive. And there are a f- still a few good old used car salesmen out there that I remember very well. They're the guy, you know, yeah, come on in, we'll put you in a car. They're still out there. And uh, I've been to several car lots, and I'm like, well, they can still make a living, you know. I, I thought that was over. But if you're a used car salesman, you may be the finest man in the world or the finest woman in the world. I'm not trying to say all used car salesmen are bad. Let's just go with the stereotypical used car salesman, okay? I know there's one left I can take you to meet him. You know, they're, they're going to take advantage of you. They're going to get something from you. This deal is not going to go your way. It's going to go their way. They're going to deceive you. They're going to seduce you. They're going to lie to you. They're, they have a power. Sherry and I have funny stories over the history of our 43 years of marriage of just times when we've gotten snookered. It's funny. Some of them are funny. Thankfully, we haven't never been too bad, but that's Simon. He's a... He's a deceiver. And Luke wants you to know that's not the way Christian leaders behave. He's drawing a a sharp line between Christianity and this kind of magic, these kinds of beliefs and practices, this kind of idolatry, the demonic. And there's a religious element in it. And, And conventional wisdom was Simon's who he claims to be. He's the greatest. They they. Though in verse 6, they started paying attention to Philip and they got delivered. They had been captivated by Simon. But verse 12 says, they believed Philip. It wasn't Philip. They believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They believed And they were baptized, both men and women. The gospel transformed them, and they were set free from the deceiver who's working for Satan. Satan is at work through Simon, and they've been deceived, they've been oppressed. It's all through our culture. There's so many people. Don't think there's no opportunity for the gospel. In Northeast Knoxville, there's opportunities. People are oppressed. People need the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a privilege to be taking the baton from the book of Acts and planting churches so that we can go and proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ. One one thing I want you to notice is... Luke says in verse 12, both men and women were baptized. Now, if you're paying attention in Acts, he repeatedly makes this point that women shared equally with men in the early church. They shared the blessings, Acts 1.14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Acts 5, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. 
And verse 3 of our text says Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Women shared the blessings of the gospel, and they suffered for the gospel. He's, he's again making this point. It's important to him, and I think it's important to us, because one of the great divisions going on in our culture is between men and women. And the gospel is coming in, and he unites them. Kevin DeYoung writes this in his really good book on men and women in the church. Underlying Jesus' ministry was the radical assumption that women have enormous value and purpose. Clearest example is his mother Mary, who is called highly favored in Luke 1. Moreover, Jesus used women as illustrations in his teaching, mentioning the queen of the south, the widow of Zarephath, women at the second coming, and the woman in search of her lost coin. He held up the persistent widow, my favorite, as an example of prayerfulness and the poor widow's offering as an example of generosity. Jesus addressed women tenderly as daughters of Abraham, placing them on the same spiritual plane as men. And remember, this was radical in the first century. And in a time where female learning was suspect, Jesus made a point to teach women on numerous occasions. In short, Jesus honored women. He valued them. He respected them. Gladly benefited from them, included them in his ministry in meaningful ways. As you would imagine, the same can be said about the early church we're reading about, not just Jesus. But the Bible is often misrepresented, isn't it? Women are honored in the New Testament. Women are honored in the church. But that's, that's not the way it is portrayed. It's wrong, it's not true, it's a lie. And the gospel unites us. Don't let this culture push you apart in any of these ways, in any of these superficial things. I held my, a new little granddaughter. We prayed for her this morning. And it was, it was love at first sight. I mean, this... A little girl, and I want her grow up know, knowing that she is valued by God. I want her to learn that from Scripture, and I want her to see it in her church. And the point is that this spirit-filled gospel preaching, it's so kind of the Lord in this day and age for him to say, men and women were baptized. And for him to say, men and women were dragged off to prison. Verse 13, even Simon himself believed. Now this is amazing. Even Simon. This was unexpected. He believed. But immediately, we have some questions. He, he continued, Luke says, with Philip. It's the same word used that Luke used to describe the, the believer's devotion to prayer. He continued. He was devoted. It was, he was amazed by the signs, the great miracles 
And he was obsessed with spiritual power. So he continued with Philip. That's what he wanted. His worldview hadn't changed. His faith, his belief was based on these signs and miracles. That's what he desired. He didn't have true faith. And verse 14 says, the apostles at Jerusalem, they heard what was going on in Samaria. And, and so they sent them Peter and John. They heard that Samaria had received the word. Verse 15, Peter and John came down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he hadn't yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. The fact that they would do this, that they would pray for them, meant that they discerned this was a genuine work of God. And they laid their hands and prayed for the gift of the Spirit. And, and that meant when the Spirit came and you could see it, Simon saw it, something happened. Luke doesn't give us details like he did in Acts 2, but si you saw, Simon saw something. It was a sign God was including them in the new covenant. It's, it's, it's a stunning disregard for, for the culture, for the barriers that, that culture presented. The Spirit, the preaching of the gospel, is drawing Samaritans of all people. If you were a church planner in the first century, I'm not going there. Too many obstacles. But that's where Jesus told the disciples to go, so that's where they went. And now we have the gospel uniting Jews and Samaritans into the fellowship of Jesus Christ. Pray for the church plant. You see, at almost every turning point in the book of Acts, there's something about prayer. Every time you come to a moment like this, somebody's praying. In this case, they're laying hands on people too, but they're praying. Prayer is an acknowledgement, says Jerry Bridges, of God's sovereignty and of our dependence on him to act on our behalf. So we pray. All the obstacles that you can think of with your children, with your family, with your friends, with your, a church plant, with evangelism, with Go Team, with the forum, all the obstacles... This is where we acknowledge God's sovereignty. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Nobody can thwart his plans. Everybody can thwart our plans. We're dependent on him to act on our behalf, but he is in control. And why, why hadn't the Spirit fallen? Because the Lord wanted to reveal more about His plan of redemption. It's so revealing. And that, that's why the Spirit hadn't come. He, had, he wanted to teach us. He wanted us to see that had not yet fallen on them. He, he wanted to show these Samaritans are fully Included. I'm going to make a point. I'm going to get Peter and John down here. They're going to see exactly what happened in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost happened now. The Lord is in control. 
Simon, verse 18, saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hand. He offered them money because that's what magicians do. That's what snake oil salesmen do. They offer money to buy the gift of God. He saw something. I want that, so I'll buy it. That's not how Christian leaders roll. That's not how the apostles roll. It's wicked to think that we can buy the gift of God. Finally, number three, our mission will succeed for obvious reasons. The, the beginning and the end of this story is intentional. So if you look at verse four, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Then look down to verse 25. Peter and John are preaching the gospel. The beginning and the end, Luke is concluding the story, starting the story. The point of the story is plan a church with confidence in the power of the gospel. They're preaching the word of God. They're preaching the gospel. They're proclaiming Christ. And the result, verse 8, there's much joy in the city. Every village Peter and John went through proclaiming Christ. Everybody, ordinary Christians, everybody is proclaiming Christ. That's our mission. And it will succeed because the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone that believes. Preaching the gospel, that's our mission. That's how we'll succeed, preaching the gospel in the power of Jesus Christ. Father, come to you in Jesus' name today, and we pray, Lord. Lord, give us success. We have this desire, Lord, to be involved in the Great Commission. Lord, we want to tell people, we want to tell our neighbors, our family, we want to tell them about Christ. We want to plant churches. We want to be involved in overseas missions. We want to work on the University of Tennessee campus, bringing the gospel through Volunteers for Christ. We have this desire for evangelism. Lord, grant us success, we pray. Fill us with your spirit, Lord, and let each and every one of us proclaim the gospel in the power of the spirit. In Jesus' name we ask for this, Lord. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.